Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Boss Up Podcast, episode 362. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Boss Up. And today we are talking all about how to make mentorship work for you, how you can accelerate your career and get to the next level with the help of mentors and sponsors along the way. Today, I'm diving into this discussion with a blast from the past, an old friend, Janice Omadecki, who I first met back in my days in DC when I was just starting Bossed Up and Janice was just starting her company, The Mentor Method. It is so fun to reconnect with Janice, hear about all the great things she's been up to since, and hear her top tips and strategies for practically leveraging mentorship to accelerate your career. Janice Omadecki is the founder and CEO of The Mentor Method, which is an enterprise platform transforming company culture through mentorship. She's made history as one of the first 100 black women in the U.S. to raise a million in institutional VC funding and has a slew of awards and accolades under her belt. Janice has also been featured in Entrepreneur Magazine, Business Insider, and has contributed to Fast Company and Harvard Business Review. She was also a subject matter expert at the 2016 White House Summit on Building the Tech Workforce of Tomorrow and brings with her 10 years of corporate leadership experience for Fortune 500 companies. Janice, welcome to the Boston Podcast. Thank you for having me. Good to see you again. I was going to say, it's been a hot minute. Do you remember when we first crossed paths back in D.C.? Yeah. Oh my gosh. The Mentor Method was a completely different business model. I went to one of your events with Dominique Broadway, I think, and was just so inspired and loved everything that was happening. The crowd, the way that you captivated them, your lesson. It was great. But yeah, I can't believe how much time has flown since then. I know. It's so good to see you just kicking ass and taking names since then. Because like, Thank you. as an entrepreneur, and I don't know if you feel this way as of yet, I feel like a decade into entrepreneurship, I'm starting to look around and see who's still kicking it, you know, like who's still yes. doing their thing. And, you know, I'm not a serial entrepreneur and I, I totally respect serial entrepreneurs. That's cool. Do your thing. But like, it is so cool to see a woman especially, but really anyone who's still pursuing the thing that they're passionate about via like social enterprise or via business. And that's what I see with what you're doing at The Mentor Method. So I just applaud your your uh, resilience and also just grit and just how much you've made progress. It's incredible. Thank you. I appreciate that. And you're right. You know, that journey is not for the faint at heart. And so looking around and seeing who's still here, I think it really shows like the businesses that are going to be the most successful. And I love that you highlighted women since women-led businesses are oftentimes more successful yeah. than overrepresented counterpart-led right. businesses. If we get so, a shot, right? And you've been doing amazing right. work about around getting financing and getting VC money and like just groundbreaking work there. Like 
when women businesses get what they need to be successful, they're massively successful, right? So Exactly. Yay. And I, I, I don't know. I think the overnight success story is so not interesting to me. I'm much more interested in the, uh, the long haul resilience and like interest in a subject matter that you want to just sink your teeth into for a lifetime. <laughs> yes. And also I never believe people that say that they were an overnight success. Yeah. Like I just had dinner with um, a friend of mine last night and she was saying that had I met her three years ago, yeah. you know, she was early in her career, just pushing the boulder uphill. And it seems like it was an overnight success because like now she's in a documentary and she has this phenomenal book deal and, you know, is an advisor at the White House. But that took years of work for her to get to that point where the last year has just been like this rocket ship. So I never believe people when they say that it was overnight. There's always work that happened before that. Yeah. And I also just feel like it's so depressing. It's like the opposite of inspiring to someone who's slogging their way through the startup process. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it makes everyone feel behind. So the overnight success narrative, I'm over that. (laughs) What are we here to talk about today though? I I invited you out to talk about mentorship. I'm loving sort of reminiscing with you and, and we could obviously have another conversation about women in entrepreneurship because I'm so inspired by, uh, your journey, but you've got an incredible, uh, business, the mentor method that really focuses on mentorship as a vehicle for social change. So I really want to dive into that concept of like how we can help close gender leadership gaps, you know, pursue racial equities and really just tackle inequity via mentorship. So why don't we start there? Like, why do you feel called to the topic of mentorship? Why do you relate to mentorship as a vehicle for social change? I think mentorship is one of the most important relationships you can have in your career. It's a way to expedite your journey, learn from people that have done it before, and then put your own spin on it to get faster results to whatever career goals you're trying to accomplish. So for me, as a first-generation American, you know, I saw my parents benefit from mentorship, which helped them get new jobs and different opportunities and really get an understanding of what it takes to accomplish the quote-unquote American dream. Right. And so for me as a byproduct of tech and mentorship, I really want to create a world where everybody gets a fair chance at meeting those mentors. You mm. don't just have to send the right LinkedIn message or work at the right company, but really have that equitable access so that everybody has a fair chance to excel in their careers and get that meaningful relationship or set of relationships. Yeah. I think I think about mentorship, like one of my biggest um, ideological sort of challenges with mentorship is that it does feel like it puts the onus on the individual to solve for a systemic problem. So you mentioned the word access. Like we know that relationships are not equally distributed, like powerful access to the right rooms, to the right capital. Like, you know, this, so how, how do you create equal opportunity to mentorship relationships in a world that segments so many of us based on class, race, geography, even, you know, if you're like a super ambitious young woman growing up in very rural Montana, you know, like how is she going to get herself into fashion in New York city? You know what I mean? Like how does mentorship work when it comes to acknowledging inequities? 
oh, there are ways that this young lady in Montana can get into fashion. Um, if that was the real person, I would immediately start like whiteboarding how she would do that. But I think you're right. You know, getting access to mentors, depending on your socioeconomic standing, where you work, um, even your personality, right? Like if you're more introverted, those can kind of be seen as challenges to getting equitable access to mentorship. But I think the first step is really knowing what you want out of a mentor. And then you can start segmenting to find those individuals and start building that pathway to getting mentorship in that space. So if we're going back to the individual example that you used, um, persons in Montana, you know, maybe mid-level, and they want to make a transition into fashion, I would First, ask what part of fashion, because that's a huge industry. What do you actually want to do? What skills do you currently have that you think would be beneficial in whatever industry or sub-industry you selected? And then what skills do you need to refine? What do you need to work on for this next milestone? And focus on that first step first, knowing that you have several more ahead of you. But I think sometimes people jump from, I don't have a mentor. I want to get into fashion. I need to speak to you in a winter. <laughs> yeah. I have her as yeah. my mentor. And sometimes you don't need that. Sometimes you just need, you know, the fashion studies professor at the local community college to help you understand the industry first. And maybe that's your first step. And then, you know, take subsequent steps to break into the New York fashion scene and everything else. Yeah. So. That's, That's so how funny. I would at least think about it. Okay, can I just say that I love how much tech has influenced how you talk about mentorship? Because you're so obviously a tech professional. You're like, let's whiteboard yeah. this. Let's segment your population <laughs> down. I'm like, oh, I see you. I see you in your, in your I tech know, influence. I know, I know. If I'm ever speaking in like too much of an HR tech <laughs> CEO headspace, just stop me and I'll No, I'll I love it. it. Uh, you know, I remember being a high schooler volunteering on my first political campaign. It was like a state representative mm. campaign. And I was around the kitchen table with the candidate and the two other advisors that she was like launching her campaign with. And it was kind of a, a futile endeavor because I was way out of my depth and I had no idea what we were even trying to do. But I was getting this like front seat view of political activism. And I, re I just remember thinking in that moment like, I, I know that I want to get into politics someday. That was my whole career before Bossed Up. But I don't have any existing relationships. You know, I can't get there. I don't. My parents just yell at the TV every night when the nightly news comes on. Like, that's their extent <laughs> of political activism. You know, I don't, I don't have right. any connections. So I felt very disenfranchised in some ways, right, in like a pretty working class uh, upbringing. And then I said, well, let me just show the f*** up. Let me just go to where the people are. And yep. I know that that also has privilege baked into it, being able to get to where the people are, right? Being willing to converse and be extroverted and like show up and have time to do that um, is all privilege, but like, and feeling safe to do so. But honestly, like when I think about how powerful mentorship relationships can be for one's career, it is, it can both be true, Janice, that you are not equally distributed powerful relationships in this world, just like nothing is equally right. distributed. Nothing is fairly distributed in this country. And it may be more accessible than we think. Like making, oh, like, yeah, we can like play the cards we've been dealt while we change the game is what I find myself saying a lot, which is, I don't know. It's, I, 
ideologically, I feel somewhat torn about it. Do you ever feel that way? Like you're solving for big diversity, equity, and inclusion issues that are systemic and need systemic solutions, but you're presenting an individual's approach to hacking the system for them, right? Does that ever... Yeah, I mean, I think at a company level, right, because some of our customers include Amazon, U.S. Department of Education, and some of the biggest companies in the world. So for us, you know, we're tackling that equitable access to mentorship from the top. Yeah. But it does require, you know, participation from these driven professionals that want access to mentors inside where they work. Mm. I will say though, you know, the pandemic showed us that we don't have to be in the same city. We don't have to be face to face in order to build meaningful relationships. So from my vantage point, it's never been easier to foster these connections because people have had two plus years of understanding how to, you know, gauge for chemistry, gauge for some simpatico alignment between you two, um, assess for somebody's values and openly communicate Mm. without needing to be right in front of that person. And so, you know, if you don't have access to be able to show up, as you were saying, that's okay. There are so many virtual communities out there now where you can still connect and engage with people from the comfort of your home, you know, on the couch, walking the dog, taking care of loved ones. It's never been easier to gain a virtual community and start building those relationships that could turn into a mentorship one. In fact, one of my mentors, actually two of my mentors, um, I haven't met in person before because of the pandemic. Yeah. And we're so close. We talk, we text all the time. And if I had to wait for an opportunity to actually build that relationship until we were, you know, able to fly again, we would be so far behind in our development. So it can definitely be done. It just takes a little bit of work and a little bit of courage um, and just the practice of outreach to start, I think. I think that's a great place to sink our teeth in. So, okay. So you've talked about being goal-oriented to start, right? Clarifying what it is that you want to learn. What skills do you want to develop? And let's say you've got some mentor prospects. You've found some people who you feel like, if I could just talk to them, this would be really influential. How do you combine courage with strategy to begin establishing that relationship? What are your first steps? Yeah, I think I would dig deeper and ask yourself why that person and Mm -hmm. why now? Because they will be wondering the exact same thing in terms of like, okay, this person reached out. I'm very flattered. Thank you so much. But like, what exactly are they hoping to learn from me? What is the time commitment? You know, what are they hoping to gain through this engagement? And so being able to answer that even in one of your first conversations helps level that expectation. And then that individual that you're inviting to have a mentor relationship can let you know if they're actually the right fit or not. Mm -hmm. Because I think sometimes, you know, even if you're in a virtual community group or you see someone's LinkedIn profile and you see their title and it sounds really impressive, their headshot is perfect. um, You can kind of get swept up in the magic of what you project and assume that their career is like or Mm -hmm. what it's like working at that company with that title. And 
what you have to realize is that sometimes the title doesn't actually match what you're trying to do right now. Yes. And it may not be the vice president of global communications for Coca-Cola that you need to speak to. Maybe it's a program manager at a smaller company that has those tactical skills that mm. you need so that when it is time for you to start connecting with that VP of communications, you already have that muscle memory and deep bench of skills and experience to make those conversations even more fruitful. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think the why you or why me, like why that person is so key to include in your message so that that person who reads it can understand that you're not just, you know, blanket blanketing so many people with your request that it feels like, well, it doesn't matter if I respond or not. You know what I mean? It has to feel like, exactly. yeah, like it really matters. We had someone on the podcast a couple of years ago who I'll, I'm totally blanking on her name, but I'll link to this episode in today's show notes who talked about how she was laid off, unemployed, and then leveraged LinkedIn specifically to seek out lots of informational interviews at companies that she was targeting and landed three job opportunities in like three months by really being strategic and targeting people and asking for those informational interviews, even without that sort of mentorship uh, goal in mind, but more so let me get my foot in the door uh, via LinkedIn. How do you respond to the non-response? Like how do you how do you coach people if they are reaching out and hearing nothing crickets across the board? Yeah, if you've reached out 3 times and you're still not hearing anything, that's fine. I never take it personally. Life happens, situations happen. Maybe they're just not big on LinkedIn and they forget to check. Yeah. Um I always tell people to not assume it's you and just assume that there are other forces yeah. at play that just make the timing not align. Totally. And sometimes when, you know, not to sound cliche, but sometimes when those opportunities don't come to fruition, it's really just helping you navigate to the pathway that's really meant to be yours right. and meet the right people. Like there have definitely been people where I've reached out to them and I'm like, oh my gosh, they would be an incredible mentor. I would love to learn from them. And crickets, mm-hmm. you hear absolutely nothing. And my approach is, okay, well, maybe this person isn't the best fit at that point because if they are reading your LinkedIn messages since you can see that and they're choosing to not respond let that be an indicator of what that relationship could be like with that person you know that they're going to read your messages and maybe not be the best at communicating so do you really want that person to be your mentor there are other people with the same skill sets and experiences that you can learn from that might be a better fit and will respond right so I never take it as a disappointment, and I don't think other yeah, people should either. Totally. I think it's just part of the reality of the world. Exactly. You know, Life and, happens. And you've alluded to chemistry being key before. You wrote a great article for the Harvard Business Review to the called The Secret of uh, you know Great Mentorship Relationships Being Chemistry. And, and right. that can certainly be a, an early indicator of what kind of chemistry you might have with folks. But it reminded me of – Again, sort of a philosophical question I always come back to around mentorship is, should we be seeking out people who are like us, for whom it might be easy to build chemistry over shared experiences, or should we be seeking out mentors who are not like us? Uh, What's your take on that? Especially as a young black woman, I have to say, like, 
do you seek out black women as mentors? Do you advise that women of color do that? Or is there a different Mm. approach that makes more sense, you think? I think it's most important to have mentors who get you for whatever area of life you're seeking to refine. So if I look at my own, um, you know, when I think about my mentor portfolio, if you will, and the things that I want to work on, I break it down, right? So I have um, a couple women CEO mentors specifically because being a woman CEO is just a very different ballgame. Yeah. And so I want to learn from people that have done that successfully. I also have black women mentors to help me navigate certain situations and projections from systemic, you know, the systemic issues that we're constantly running up against yeah. to know how to navigate that as a black woman. But then I also have mentors like Joseph Kopser, who is our head of operations. He is a 51 year old white male military veteran from Kentucky. And if you looked at us on paper, you know, he's run for Congress. He's, you know, a serial entrepreneur um, in the Army for 20 years. Like, And then you compare my background, graphic designer from the D.C. metro area, moved to Austin to move her business. You wouldn't necessarily say that there are transferable skills line by line. But he has been one of the most impactful mentors I've ever had. Yeah. And equally as impactful as, you know, the black women mentors and my women CEO mentors. So I really think it's about making sure you're around people that understand you Mm -hmm. and will help you be the best version of you, not try to make you a version of themselves. So, Mm -hmm. you know, even with our matching algorithm, that's a big piece of the mentor method software. um, We make sure that you're matched based on your personality, values, skills, and industry to take a look at all of the pieces that make you, you. Right. So, For example, in our assessment, there's a question of, do you like to be a people manager or not? Right. Because sometimes we assume that everybody that wants to be in leadership wants to be a people manager, but that's not always the case. So you want to make sure that you're getting a mentor that respects that and isn't trying to say, oh, yeah, but like you have to be, that's the way it's always done. Not always. And you're a completely different person in the new future of work. So I would encourage people to just make sure that they feel accepted and heard and respected yeah, and that there are things you can learn from that mentor regardless of um, what they look like. Right. Yeah. Part of me thinks like it's kind of a radical act to get more women asking men to mentor them <laughs> because mm. I feel like women, especially senior women of, who become fewer and farther between, right? The higher you rise, right. in, especially in corporate America the mentorship load that they're probably carrying is so massive, right? If like every woman is looking to see the few senior women in corporate America to mentor them, that's a lot. That's many to one. And so I wonder like how much mentoring are senior men in leadership doing? And should we be asking more of them? Um, Especially thinking about like the Tiffany Dufus of the world who spend every Friday afternoon just mentoring people. And I'm like, damn, that's a lot of time. (laughs) You know? Yeah, no, I do weekly office hours too. And it's a lot, but I mean, you have to do it, right? And there are those people that, you know, you can tell they are early in their career and they just need someone to hear them, right? And I'm happy to make that time. But I mean, diversifying and getting more men involved 
is essential to helping more women advance in the workplace. Yeah. Like they're making more money. They're in more leadership positions. They get promoted faster. It's easier for them to build a network and be bullish about it because they don't have society telling them that they need to be kind and smile and all the other that Mm -hmm. women are told, right? So I think it's important for women to have mentors that can get them access. Yeah. And if men have said access, why not build a mentor relationship and Mm -hmm. have that evolve even further into sponsorship where they're willing to put their neck on the line and their brands on the line to make sure that you're successful and follow Mm -hmm. in their footsteps. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting way to think about it. So for those who are listening and thinking, I don't really know what a mentor could do for me. You know what I mean? Like let's, let's break down some examples of sponsorship and mentorship. Where have you seen mentors be impactful. And if you're a mentor listening and you're thinking like, okay, I've got these mentees who are looking to me for guidance. What the hell should I offer them? Like how can mentors practically make a difference and and really be supportive of folks in the workplace? I think the first thing to do is listen. That's, I mean, that's literally your job as a mentor is to listen first Mm. and then speak second. Make sure that The advice you're giving comes from a place of caring and wanting that person to do well, um, but making sure that it's really tailored to their individual experience. So when I have, um, like even with my own mentees now, I'll hear what's going on, but I want to learn about their dog, you know, their birth order. I want to learn about their human design. I want to learn about, you know, as many details as possible. And if they're presenting a problem that they're facing, I ask a lot of questions to know who are the key players? You know, how did Mm. this issue come to be? What have they already tried? Mm. So that when I do respond, I'm actually getting them information they need. Because sometimes I've noticed in a mentor-mentee relationship, mentees kind of assume that the mentor will know everything. And maybe they don't want to them and say, hey, actually, I did already try that. And then 15 minutes of your meeting is wasted because you were placating instead of actually advocating for what you want, right? Yeah. So I think mentors can help remove that barrier to a more fruitful relationship by just asking the right questions the same way they would if a customer or a client came to them with a problem. Yeah. You wouldn't just spew out a response. You would really think about it and want to make sure it helped them. And that same responsibility goes with the mentee. I would also say don't make it all about you. It's about the mentee's experience. So if you have a story from your own life or a friend's life that you want to share, perfect. But mentee, mentor, coffee meetings or Zoom meetings are not meant to be, you know, IRL Back in my day, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Stroll down memory lane. Oh, boy, yeah. (laughs) Right. Like post it on your LinkedIn. I'll read it there. That's yeah. not the time. I'm yeah. trying to learn immediately. Yeah. Um, I would also say practice a great deal of empathy and remember where you were when you were at that mentee stage. A lot of people forget going back to that overnight success. Right. A lot of people forget that they weren't born with the skills and the experiences that they have now Mm. and they can kind of be a little bit harder on the next generation or other people that are coming up and wanting to do the same thing because they've forgotten 
that they had to learn everything that they know now. Mm -hmm. So being empathetic that, yeah, your mentee may ask questions that make you cringe, but it's only because they don't know. They're not trying to make you cringe. They want to be better. So be empathetic. Mm. And instead of ruling them out or thinking that maybe they're not as prepared or whatever, have some compassion and help them get there. Mm. And then notice if there's a pattern after that. But I think immediately shooing them off or not, being, you know, quote unquote, perfect is doing a disservice for mentoring women. Right. Especially, I mean, I think a sign, it, it's also an indication that you're a safe harbor for people. If they're coming right. to you unpolished, if they're coming to you kind of a hot mess, as I write about in my book, like, oh, yeah. I remember being a hot mess too. Let's talk about it. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. I, it's like your no makeup friends, ex- you know, like exactly. the friends that you have over Sunday at 1 p.m., yes. no makeup, or in some random free event t-shirt you yeah. got the week before. And those are the people that you're most comfortable yeah. with. And you don't mind making a mess or being a mess around them. And you build a deeper relationship. I think having that ability to do that with your mentor in, yeah. you know, within certain boundaries, sure. of course, um, is really impactful. Yeah. What do you think are the responsibilities that mentors and mentees owe each other? So it's it's mm. fine to show up as your full self, hopefully, like in, if that's right. safe, right? Um, but what do we owe each other, you know, as mentors and mentees? What, what are the standards that you want to adhere to to retain and maintain really productive, healthy mentor-mentee relationships? Trust, honesty, communication, and accountability. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. I think the same cornerstones as any other important relationship, yeah. you know, whether that's with a partner or a significant other, close friend or family, without those as your foundation, that leaves a lot of room for that relationship to crumble. Yeah. And the same thing goes with a mentor-mentee dynamic. You need to be able to trust them. Both parties have to be honest about whatever you're struggling with, availability, questions, whatever it is. Um, you have to be able to communicate with one another. So yeah. if you're a mentor and your schedule is just becoming insane because it's year-end, say that and just communicate it. That way your mentee yeah. isn't on the other side wondering where you went, yeah. right? Going back to the three responses and not hearing anything. And then also just the accountability and knowing that the relationship is 50% dependent on you and how you show up and that it's your job, not the other person's job to make you show up. Yeah. Really supports building a strong relationship across both parties. Absolutely. I yeah. would also say managing expectations too. Because sometimes mentees, I've definitely seen it where they're like, okay, I want to go from making $35,000 to $250,000 in the next six months. Yeah, and like, help me get great. there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe you can. I don't know what your investment strategy is. I don't know how you're going to do it. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. there are definitely ways to do that. But having a realistic expectation of what your mentor can help you do is paramount. Yeah. That way you're not set up to fail. The mentor isn't set up to fail. And you're not disappointed when you don't reach that goal because yeah. it was semi-unattainable regardless of who your mentor would be. Totally. Yeah. And I think like, I think you used a portfolio analogy earlier when you talked about like diversifying 
your mentor network. It's like, I did, yeah. You cannot overly invest in one person either. Like, it is not one person, even the best mentor out there cannot wave their magic wand over your career and make it happen. You know what I mean? Like, you've got to make it happen. They can help, they can sponsor you, they can mentor you, they can be your coach. And you've got to, you've got to show up. You got to do the work. You got to learn. And sometimes learning looks real messy. I would say almost always learning looks real messy. So oh, it's always messy, but that's why it's so fun. Yeah, yeah, fun, fun. Some days more fun. Some yeah. days than other days. <laughs> well, 100%. that's. I, I could talk to you all day about this, but I've got one last question for you because I know the mentor method really focuses on equipping organizations, like you said earlier, from the top down. So how do you feel like structured mentorship programs run within corporations compare to more organic mentor-mentee relationships that people have built themselves? What is the benefit to either path? Like how do those two combine or, or compare? Yeah, I think there is something to be said about those organic relationships. Of course, those are powerful and they're great. And, you know, we love to hear the stories about those, but that's not always the case for everyone. It's kind of like when I used to read um, advice on fundraising for the mentor method, and there's always like the same 10 steps, but there should have been a jumbo asterisk at the bottom that says, 90% of this really only applies to those from a certain socioeconomic and demographic standing, Mm -hmm. right? And I think the same thing goes for the quote unquote traditional rules of mentorship Mm. where, you know, you just meet somebody at the water cooler. Well, what if, you know, you're not in the same building as the that you want mentorship from or what if your team, quite frankly, isn't a good culture fit and you want to jump ship to a different team, but that's a little bit tricky to navigate? Having a structured mentorship program levels the playing field so that everybody gets a chance to meet mm. the right mentors and everybody gets a chance to learn and not just that population that's labeled as a high performer or a go-getter. Yeah. Sometimes you're a go-getter, but accosting a director in the middle of their lunch break just isn't your vibe. And that's okay. You still deserve a mentor, right? Right. So using a structured program gives people a clear start and end date. Everybody gets the same training and onboarding process. So you know that they all have the same understanding Mm. of what they're supposed to do as a mentee mentor. You have your executive sponsors and your program administrator team that's launching the whole thing. So you can go back to them if you have questions or concerns or anything, which is really helpful. It also increases accountability because if you're, you know, a senior leadership professional and you're mentoring somebody through new hire onboarding, let's say, or somebody that's a little bit earlier in their career, knowing that this will be a part of your performance appraisals. Altruism helps, but knowing that it's tied to your bonuses next quarter goes a very long way too. So it helps incentivize mentors and mentees to show up the way that they should outside of it just being the right thing to do. Yeah. So I love that. Very pro-structured mentorship as you can hear. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, because like like you said, altruism has its limits and, you know, I want to live in a world where – being a mentor is not just good for mentors because we know the data is clear, right? That mentors benefit greatly right. from those relationships too. But 
you know, having it as a performance expectation goes back to a systemic solution. The companies that value mentors taking time out of their paid workday to coach and train and mentor those who are coming up behind them, those companies have made a systemic adjustment, right? in terms of transparency right. around what they value. And so it, it kind of goes back to the very opening question here where it's like, can we solve for the systemic societal issue by putting the onus on individual mentors and mentees? Probably not, but if like- you give them the right tools right. a little bit, but it starts from the top. Yeah, absolutely. Really and so you were sort of, you're sort of hacking that system within companies who value that. And, and make, you know, put their money where their mouth is. So I love that. Congratulations again on all the growth you've had. Where can folks learn more about you, Janice, and the mentor method? Yes. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Janice Omadecki. Feel free to shoot me an email, Janice, J-A-N-I-C-E at thementormethod.com. And you can always visit our website, thementormethod.com. Awesome. I'll drop links to all that in today's show notes. Thank you so much for being part of this conversation today. It's great to catch up with you. Thank you. So good to see you. To learn more about everything Janice and I talked about in today's episode, head to bossedup.org slash episode 362. That's bossedup.org slash episode 362. And now it's time for this week's Boss Move of the Week. Hi, Emily. This is Catherine calling from Siddler Spring, Maryland. I wanted to share a recent Boss Move with podcast listeners. A few weeks ago, I had an essay published in a fundraising blog that I had been following for a long time. So I was really excited to have it out there and receive positive feedback. And another exciting outcome was that a hiring manager actually reached out to me on LinkedIn to say that she and her boss loved my essay and they asked if I would be interested in applying for an open position they had. Unfortunately, the job didn't pan out because they decided to hire someone locally based rather than a remote position. But I, that experience definitely showed me the importance of networking, which is something that I learned in Boss Up Hired program. So I saw that by sharing my thoughts and ideas on LinkedIn, it was a really powerful way to get noticed and attract the types of employers that share my values and interests. And I'm hoping that by sharing more regularly on LinkedIn, I can get the same results again. That's amazing. And thank you so much for sharing your come up story. You really never know who you're inspiring when you share your boss move. So if you've got a boss move of the week, big or small, I want to hear from you. Schedule time to talk it over with me on the podcast at the link in today's show notes or call it in and leave me a voicemail at the Boss Up Podcast hotline. That's 910-668-BOSS. 2677. And now, boss, I want to hear from you. What did you think about today's conversation? How are you leveraging LinkedIn and leveraging mentorship to accelerate your career, to identify and reach out to sponsors who can help open doors for you? Let's talk about it. Join me in the Boss Up Courage community on Facebook to keep the conversation going, or let's continue the conversation on LinkedIn. Boss Up has a growing LinkedIn group that you can find in today's show notes as well, and you can connect with me directly. I'd love to chat with you there. I check my LinkedIn inbox almost every day, Monday through Friday, um, so don't hesitate to connect with me there. I would love to hear from you. 
And until then, let's keep bossing in pursuit of our purpose. And together, let's lift as we climb. 